Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. Certainly appreciate being a part of your day yet again, and we've got a lot coming on today's episode. We're going to check in on farmland prices here with Paul Shadeg of Farmers National Company in just a moment, and then we're going to talk with our friend Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Of course, we had the export reports out this morning from USDA, and preparations are underway for that December 9th release of the next supply and demand estimates from that group. We'll get Arlen's take on everything that's happening there, And then we're going to turn our focus to the equipment market, both new and used machinery. Casey Seymour over at Moving Iron LLC keeps track of that industry, and he's going to fill us in on just what's developing there as we round out this wild and crazy year of 2022. Well, one place we have seen 2022 be exceptionally wild certainly is in the realm of land values. Paul Shadeg joins us now. And Paul, let's talk a little bit. This has been a record-setting year in the the sense of farmland values, hasn't it? It certainly has. Yeah, we we continue to see really strong sales uh, everywhere from the eastern Corn Belt back to Iowa, Missouri, Nebraska, and down into Kansas. Paul, I'm curious, this market has been so hot, and ordinarily when we see a market get as hot as farmland has been, it's because we've got a reduced supply of properties on the market. I'm wondering, is that true in the farmland market this year? Yeah, without a doubt, the uh, the properties coming to market are, are limited, um, and most of those sellers have a pretty strong expectation. Uh, what has driven that, though, is that we, we continue to have this uh, – strong pool of buyers, both local and, and outside investment that, uh, that has driven that, helped by you know, commodity markets and that law of supply and demand. That's what it's all about, Paul. You know, you mentioned those purchasers here of this farm ground. We're seeing all sorts of investors look at the market. We're also seeing farmers be very, very active purchasers. In the Farmers National data over this past year, who's been buying what? Are we seeing more small investors move into the space? You know, we track that really close, and we can still tell you that uh, about 80%, um, maybe just a tick under that right now, are um, f- operating farmers that uh, are, are making those final purchases. But the important factor is to understand that those investors are definitely part of that buying pool, and they are pushing those, those uh, local buyers. To, uh, to bid a little bit more and, uh, and to, get the, to get the deal done. You know, that is a really good point. Even if it doesn't end up in the hands of an investor, either small or large, there's still a hand in the air at the sale pushing those bids up. And I'm wondering, Paul, as you look out to 2023, we see interest rates rising. Is that going to push the small investor into other investments, maybe pull some of them out of the land uh, environment? Yeah, I think we're going to see a kind of a two-pronged effect um, at what interest rates are are going to have on the on land market. Number one is just as as you've stated that some of those investors that if they don't truly uh, have a emotional interest in owning land, they will look at other uh, investment opportunities uh, that maybe are simpler than owning land or maybe are going to provide a stronger return than what land will. And then when the other side of that interest rate is some of those local buyers, um, farmer operators, we, we're going to find out where that tipping point is where interest rates are a little bit too much to, uh, for them to absorb uh, a land purchase. Yeah, that's true. That The cost of money certainly is going to impact decisions as we get farther into this next year. Paul, I'm curious about the geography of these sales. I've seen a number of headlines coming out of the prime Corn Belt states, Iowa, Illinois, with, with huge gains in farmland prices. But I'm guessing we've seen that throughout the Corn Belt, both east and west. What are some of the states that are, have really seen a move up in values? You know, we've seen some really strong sales in Illinois, you know, uh, some that are exceeding 20,000 an acre. When we look at high quality, average 
price of high quality land in that area. It's it's sixteen around sixteen thousand an acre when we consider uh, multiple sales, but that's still another ten twelve percent above where it was a year ago, um, and and that is indicative as you move west um, into Iowa. They've, we've seen similar results there. Uh, we've seen some some pretty extreme sales in Iowa. You know, you probably heard about the thirty thousand dollar sale, but when we look at um, on average across Iowa, you know, if you're in central Iowa, those average values here just in recent auctions in the past couple of weeks are thirteen to fifteen thousand an acre, um, and uh, and that that uh, those averages kind of fit the bill when you uh, get back into Nebraska. Same thing, we're seeing some some fifteen to seventeen thousand dollar sales uh, in eastern Nebraska. So it. It uh, across the board, uh, when you look at land values by state, um, they've all seen an increase. All classes of land have seen an increase, but cropland continues to be the the strong driver in that. Absolutely. Looking at the returns in the futures market, it makes sense that we'd see the values coming back to cropland first. You, you did mention the other classes are seeing some some strong accelerations in values. Pasture land, Paul, what's that doing here across the midsection of the country? Pasture land has seen the smallest increase. Um, there's uh, a little bit more fluctuation in demand there um, based on what uh, cattle prices are doing. But uh, because of that limited amount of land being offered for sale, when it comes up, there's the, the guys that have been waiting to buy it, regardless of where the cattle market might be, they still step in and buy it. They're just not as aggressive as what uh, individuals are on cropland. Well, and that certainly makes some sense, particularly given the dryness and the weather disruptions over so much of cattle country here over the past couple of years. You know, Paul, you mentioned we have seen we've seen strong sales. We've had seen strong acres coming to market. Looking out for the rest of December, are there many more big land sales on the books that you're aware of? Yeah, we we have a pretty full auction schedule um, for the oh, especially over the next two weeks. It'll quiet down a little bit right down around the holidays. But our auction schedule is also pretty well filled up for, for January, and we've been talking to a lot of uh, sellers, potential sellers, uh, for auctions into uh, late winter, early spring. Um, so we're, we're looking at a volume about um, similar to what we were a year ago, which was above average then. So we're still seeing uh, landowners wanting to take the opportunity to maybe capitalize on where the market's at today and uh, at least explore that option. Certainly, and of course, once we get to that new tax year, then we'll be seeing that next auction calendar start to fill up as well, I'd imagine, right, Paul? Yeah, but yeah, for sure. Uh, we've had, there's just a, a lot of, uh, as, as you can imagine, a lot of excitement out there from landowners seeing what their, their land is currently valued at based on recent sales. And uh, some want to take the opportunity to hold that investment and, and enjoy what the, uh, the value is today. And, and then uh, others take the opportunity to capitalize on the value. Absolutely. Probably going to be some Christmas table conversations about that farm in the family. We've been speaking with Paul Shadag, Senior Vice President, Real Estate Operations over at Farmers National. And Paul, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you, Mike. We appreciate it. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up right after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. As a farmer, growing your business is more than just a 9 to 5. It's your life's work. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System goes all in to help you stay on top. Backed by decades of innovation, offering the latest trait technology and triple herbicide tolerance, plus more weed species controlled than any other soybean system. Because you mean business, and so do we. Learn more at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. 
Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions. IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. 2022 will be remembered for chaos between war, inflation, and weather. But if there's one thing farmers know, it's that there's no such thing as normal. That's why this year's DTN Ag Summit will focus on strategies to help conquer the chaos and ways farmers can build endurance for their business. Hear from leaders at CHS, Bayer, and Corteva, as well as farmers from across the country, all from the comfort of your home or office. Join us for this completely virtual event held December 12th and 13th. Register today at DTN.com slash Ag Summit. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. <laughs> Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to AOA Today. There are a number of headlines floating around that are impacting the world of agriculture. One of them came out of the USDA earlier this week. We saw the release of a final USDA rule establishing a pilot program to collect and report information on contracts between packers and producers of fed cattle. Folks, we've been talking about this for the better part of a year. This was one of those proposals that has been floating around the various pieces of legislation designed to target the cattle market, particularly cattle pricing and fairness there. And this was one component that most of the industry had come together on. In fact, our friends over at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association issued a statement once this rule was passed. Tanner Bamer, Senior Director Director of Government Affairs noted that, quote, we are hopeful that this pilot program will strike an appropriate balance between offering cattle producers additional insight into the market while also protecting their proprietary business information. He goes on to say a cattle contract library is just one of many tools NCBA has advocated for to help producers make more informed business decisions and capture the most value possible for their cattle. That's the statement from NCBA tomorrow. We'll be checking in with uh, American Ag Network Farm and Ranch Director, who is down in Nashville, Tennessee, for the U.S. Cattlemen's Association annual meeting. And USCA also had backed this rule, at least in the proposed version. I'm sure we'll talk with Jesse about their take on this final rule now that it has been rolled out. Well, the meat industry seeing some other headlines that could impact prices long term. We have been speaking for the past three months about the downturn in the alternative meats industry. That alternative meats category, of course, a very big category. The downturn that we've seen this past year is on the basis of those plant-based fake meat type products, alternative meat type products, the, the pea-based, the soy-based, um, those sort of things. And we have seen large-scale layoffs throughout that whole sector as that industry has, has stopped growing. It exploded there in the early part of the pandemic, and since then its growth rates have stagnated, and for some companies, sales have actually been going down. 
Not great news for the plant-based crowd. However, the alternative meats category includes another component, and that is cell-cultured meat. And we haven't talked about it much on this program. The idea behind cell-cultured meat is that by simply combining some cells and some food, these companies are going to be able to effectively grow meat in a lab without slaughtering any animals. That's the long-term goal here. And Two, three years ago, there was some big announcements. They actually cultivated a hamburger over in the UK, and it cost about $10,000 a pound. So I was not expecting to see some large-scale commercialization coming anytime soon. And, well, it looks like somebody is giving it a try. Believer Meats, a company formerly known as Future Meat Technologies, announced earlier this week that they have broken ground on their first U.S. commercial facility. And not only is it the first, it is expected to be the world's largest cultivated meat production laboratory. So now this is a huge investment. The company is planning to spend $124 million in Wilson County, North Carolina. Uh, they plan to create over 100 new jobs. Their goal here is to build this out over the next three years. Now they say this facility is going to use their proprietary custom-made bioreactors. They're looking to achieve a taste as close to that of meat from an animal as they can get. Um, the CEO, Nicole Johnson Hoffman, says, quote, we are on the path to creating the change we seek. And they do note that this facility, when it's fully up and operational, if it all works according to plan, they will be producing 10,000 tons of cultured meat per year. So it does sound like this cultured meat space, the science there is accelerating. And I think everybody involved in the cattle market, pork market, poultry market needs to be aware of what's happening here on the cultivated side because they are pitching themselves as an alternate, a quote unquote, I'm making the air quotes with my hand, a humane alternative to meat production. And it looks like the ability for consumers to get that in front of them might be closer than I had previously anticipated. We've got some other news here. One of the things we've been tracking on this program because it certainly impacts Ag's bottom line is the overall economic health of the country. We'll be speaking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist from Stonex here in just a moment about how the broader economy is impacting ag, and it's certainly impacting money flow across the ag commodities. But one of the things we've been watching for in particular is the strength of this labor market. Is the labor market hot enough still to demand that the Federal Reserve continue to hike interest rates as they have been? Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said that labor is the most important question they have when it comes to future interest rate increases. And what Jerome Powell is watching for is for the labor situation to, to get worse. Uh, really, they're looking for, ideally, I think, an uptick in unemployment, and they're looking to see the, the hiring situation start to cool down. And last week, we had news that pushed against that idea. We saw wages were up. We saw payrolls continued to climb here in this last year, or excuse me, this last month, according to the USDA, or <laughs> apologies, according to the United States Department of Labor, rather, we saw those wages climb. Today, we got another report from Uncle Sam, and this is the report on continuing claims for unemployment. So if you were laid off two, three months ago and you are still filing for continuing claims, that's what this tracks. And the idea is we're trying to measure how good is the economy at finding new jobs for people who have just lost their current job. Those theoretically are the most employable folks in the unemployment market. So if they're struggling to find work, it means that Folks who have been unemployed even longer, perhaps out of the labor market, might really be struggling to find work. And continuing claims have been declining all year long. The strength in the labor market has meant that these folks have been able to perhaps leave one job, get fired from one job, and then almost immediately move on to the next. That is starting to change. The, in October, it was reported, excuse me, in November, it was reported that initial unemployment claims increased by 4,000, so they're now over 230,000 continuing unemployment claims nationwide. And that is up, up 4,000 points. And this pushes the continuing claims for unemployment to the highest level we've seen since February, back before the employment situation really started to heat up. Will this be enough to cool the Fed's interest rate hike mania down? That remains to be seen. We'll get Arlen's perspective on it here in just a moment. But the interest rate hike has been accomplishing at least some of the goals that the Fed had set out for it to do. Notably, the cryptocurrency market. If you've been buying Bitcoin or Dogecoin or, or any of those other cryptocurrency coins, 
that market was a $3 trillion market here just about a year ago. It has now shrank by more than two-thirds. It's now a $1 trillion market. Technology stocks are off more than 50% here in the equities, and housing prices are falling for the first time in 10 years. So several folks, notably Harvard University professor Jeremy Stein, are saying that we're seeing the Fed do pretty amazing things with interest rates, and it's not blowing up the economy. So far, it seems to be accomplishing the Fed's goals. We do have some other news from outside the United States. Of course, one of the crucial components of agriculture is making sure that countries who buy our goods are willing to buy the goods and the technology that American farmers package into our goods. Notably, in the realm of agriculture, it's GM technology, genetic modification. The country of India has long had a rocky relationship with genetic modification. There were uh, substantial pushes against the technology when they rolled out GM cotton several years ago in that country, and it put a lot of this new technology adoption on hold. Well, for the first time in several years, the Indian government has come out and they have started to support more genetically modified technology. Now, this is a huge shift for the Indian government, and it's happened really rather suddenly in the context of, of international approvals for GM technologies. Back in October, the Environment Ministry of India granted environmental clearance for GM mustard seeds. Now, a crucial component of the Indian government's uh, uh, sort of push to adopt GM technology is that they're really looking to push indigenously developed technology. The GM technology developed in India, it sounds as though they are going to get first in the line placing in getting approval. Now, the reason that India has uh, has really had a change of heart on this issue is because more than 60% of India's total edible oil demand is met through imports, and they import a lot from Indonesia and Malaysia, of course, major palm oil productions, but they also import a lot from the Black Sea, notably the Ukraine, and sunflower oil has been one of their key components. Given the disruptions to that industry and the supply chains over this past year, the Indian government has recognized that they need to get on board with crop technology in order to ensure their, their food security and, quote, cut a reliance on imports. They are trying to boost the output of edible oils here throughout the country of India. It'd be interesting to see how this played out. They spent $19 billion on veg oils this past year, and of course that figure will be going up given the price spikes we've seen in so many of those veg oil categories. Whether or not this will lead to more approval for U.S. Uh, crops and grains moving into that country remains to be seen, but it's certainly a step in the right direction as we look to open more world markets to American agricultural products. Folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we'll be checking in with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. We'll talk through what happened in this morning's export reports and what he's expecting on tomorrow's supply and demand estimates. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's start with export news. We saw on Thursday's Daily Wire a sale of 118,000 metric tons of beans to China and another 718,000 metric tons to unknown destinations, which the trade assumes to be China. That total together, a hefty sale, and it's something that is definitely going to be watched in this market. It comes on top of similar sales of 504,000 metric tons a couple of days ago. Chinese buyers expected to be able to buy one to one and a half million metric tons of cheap Argentine soybeans 
in that country's peso for soybean program. It hasn't really worked out so far, and it seems like buyers are quickly trying to fill the void with U.S. beans. That could give us some near-term support here in this market. On the weekly export sales side, we saw that export sales were decent for beans, 63.1 million bushels of old, 1.1 million bushels of new crop, which that 1.1 all went to China. Corn, 27.2 million bushels of sales, and wheat, 7 million bushels of sales. Mexico was the leading buyer of U.S. corn at 13.1 million bushels. China was the leading buyer of U.S. soybeans on the weekly export sales report. Overall, the market trade is relatively quiet, though, with beans up moderately, corn mixed around unchanged, and wheat mixed a little bit as well. Livestock trade cattle are higher with hogs lower. Pretty disappointing export sales for beef and pork on the week. We have seen some cash cattle activity this week, but it's been a couple dollars lower, and that's not providing much optimism to the trade. Traders are gearing up not only for Friday's December WASDE report. We could see a few changes there, but we don't expect many. And also next week's Federal Reserve meeting as we anticipate a 50 basis point rate hike from the Fed. Crude oil's up about 2% on the day Thursday with the Dow Jones up around 200 points. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise, we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Certainly appreciate you joining us today. And today we are speaking with Mr. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with StoneX. And Arlen, thanks for joining us. Good to be back with you, Mike. Arlen, it looks as though the markets are kind of struggling to find some direction today. Was there anything breaking in the export reports out Thursday morning? No, really not. Uh, other than the daily report, the weekly report really didn't have any surprises in it. The daily report uh, had another big sale to China and unknown destinations, which is largely going to be expected to be China as well. Of soybeans, uh, 118,000 metric tons to China, 718,000 metric tons to unknown destinations. And so you put those together with what we had two days ago, which was 504,000 metric tons. It, it all comes together, about 49 million bushels of soybeans. And, and this is a product of kind of what's happening in Argentina. Our cash sources in China, uh, buyers there had told us that they were waiting for China, or excuse me, for Argentina to implement its uh, pesos for soybeans program. This is what they did back in September, uh, which gave uh, an accelerated pace of pesos for dollars that were received for selling soybeans since Argentine soybeans are sold on the based on the Chicago market in dollars and then converted to pesos. The going rate for pesos is $166 per peso, and they were offering 230 pesos per dollar. So they thought like back in September, a lot that put a lot of cheap soybeans available, and Chinese buyers were able to absorb several million metric tons of them. They thought they could buy another one to one and a half million metric tons that way this time as well. That's not working out so well for them due to some logistical issues 
the crushers are getting those soybeans rather than the exporters. And so now Chinese buyers finding themselves scrambling back to the United States to buy what they had expected to buy from Argentina. And that's part of what, why we've seen more strength in the soybean market here over the last few days. When do you think that Argentinian program or, or what's Argentinian exports look like, Arlen, as we get out here into first quarter of 2023, will they still have beans to ship? Yeah, that's a good question. They do now because they're old crop, because the farmers there were simply refusing to sell soybeans out other than new with this program, because the peso was losing value so fast that they would rather risk keeping soybeans in the bin than pesos in the bank. And so, it, you know, if they needed to buy something, they would buy for buy it with bags of soybeans, so to speak. Um, but now the government using this incentive program to get them to empty those storage bins of soybeans. But what about the new crop? And I think that's what you're referring to. USDA currently has the Argentine new crop soybeans, which are in the ground now, are being planted at about 49 million and a half million metric tons. That's down from an initial estimate of around 51 or 52 million metric tons. But it's extremely dry right now. And if you look at similar years um, to try to figure out a worst-case scenario, it's not a forecast, but this is what if a worst-case scenario. I go back to 2008 when it was also very dry, and they had similar area planted to soybeans, and they produced about 33 million metric tons that year. So that would be down another 16.5 million metric tons from where they currently are at. And uh, my contact in Argentina reminds reminds me that they're even drier now than they were at this time for the 2008 crop. So how it's going to play out from here, we'll have to see. So there is quite a bit of potential for Argentina's crop to drop further in size. Now, they crush most of their soybeans into meal and oil, so that means that the customers will be looking to Brazil and the United States to fill those meal and oil orders uh, versus whole soybeans. Uh, but that's still a factor to be reckoned with. Now, if Brazil continues to have generally favorable weather, their production could be up about 28 million metric tons from the previous year largely offsetting that. So it's kind of a shifting of whole soybeans on the export market versus meal and oil, shifting who gets the business and what's done with it. But it's still overall factor in Western Hemisphere soybean production. I'm glad you brought up the drought issue and the, the potential tightness in new crop. Arlen, I noticed we've seen a $40, $50 rally in bean meal here just this past week. Is that spillover concern about what could happen there in South America? It is to some extent. Uh, it, it's a combination of the algos and the computers that trade these um, going the opposite direction of what they are in oil. There's different dynamics there with the oil market, the soil oil market collapsing last week, and so therefore putting their money in the meal. Uh, they're using the Argentine drought to justify that, and we have seen some pretty good demand for for soy meal, both domestically and on the export market, uh, helping to support it. We're getting up into some areas now of chart resistance, so I think it's going to be real interesting to watch here over the next several trading sessions to see if we can sustain this move. The market is overbought and due for a correction, so even if we come down, that doesn't mean it's over. Um, but we definitely are seeing a pickup in that meal demand. Arlen, the trade is certainly going to be watching for the December world supply, world agricultural supply and demand estimates coming out from USDA tomorrow. And it sounds like in my conversation with traders, one of the major question marks is that export number for both corn and soybeans. Uh, what do you expect to see tomorrow from USDA? Well, the December report is one of the quietest reports of the year that we get. Um, so they don't do anything with domestic production, supply, and demand. So it comes down to what's, excuse me, they don't do anything with domestic production, but they do adjust demand estimates, which you mentioned exports. We're trailing our corn export pace where we should be to hit USDA's target by a significant amount, by over 300 million bushels. Uh, actual shipments are trailing by a little smaller amount, but still significant at 162 million. 
So no one would be surprised if they cut the corn export target, and I think that is justified. As for soybeans, the deficit is, is closer to uh, 30 to 50 million, depending on if you're looking at actual shipments or, or sales to date. I do think that this latest surge of buying by China will probably keep USDA at bay and probably won't make any adjustments to the soybean export target, but I do look for it to probably cut the corn export target by maybe as much as 50 million, but to partially offset that by about a 25 million increase in feed usage um, with a net result of a, you know, a rather modest increase in ending stocks. Overall, things are still pretty snug overall in this market. It's still going to matter what we see coming out of Brazil here in the months ahead as far as production for soybeans and corn. Um, but I think exports out of the United States certainly have been Absolutely. weak because of water levels. Yeah, no, those low water levels are going to be ongoing concern. And Arlen, you mentioned could see exports come down, could see a a portion of that get picked back up as feed demand. And of course, ethanol demand, that fuel demand is a crucial component of it. Can you bring us up to speed on the health of the ethanol industry here as we round out 2022? Yeah, our biggest problem has been a lack of gasoline demand for blending. Uh, we certainly have had some positive developments uh, with uh, trying to increase the amount of E15 that's utilized and made available. Um, but gasoline demand has been sluggish. We have seen some good exports from time to time. Overall, we look at production right now and utilization of corn for ethanol. It trails the seasonal pace needed to hit USDA's target by just about five or six million bushels, and that deficit is declining. And I think as we go forward, we'll probably see it exceed the target by a bit. I think we'll see that ethanol target probably increase a little bit as we go through the year. All right. Well, that might be good news. Certainly, if we can get that E15 year-round passed into law, that might help the ethanol sector a little bit. Arlen, I, I want to turn our focus just briefly here over to the cattle complex. We're seeing a rise here in live cattle prices and feeders up triple digits. Any news events that have moved that market today? Well, ironically, the, the product market really hasn't mattered a whole lot over the last couple of years because the packers have been pretty much in control and setting the cash price. But uh, that's kind of changing, and we've seen a very volatile uh, choice cut market here of late over the last 10 days to two weeks uh, with big moves to 6 to 7 even maybe close to $8 in a single day at times, and that's given us big swings in the futures market. Overall, the cash market softening up a little bit this week, pulling back a little bit. That's seasonal in nature. Um, as we go through the holidays and the shortened slaughter schedules, we have heavy carcass weights right now because of a good fall so far for producing these cattle, but our numbers are starting to decline as we go into next year. We're expecting these numbers to decline even more, giving the feeders more of the leverage in the cash market. Arlen, as those numbers start to decline and this gets more press, could this be a story to pull in that outside investor money back to the cattle complex? Uh, certainly so. Then the question is going to be how much is the consumer going to be willing to pay for that beef and as well as pork overall. And that's going to come down to consumer confidence and how much they're worried about inflation or worried about what the Fed might do. If we, if we can get consumer confidence back up where it should be, uh, then I think that would portray for some more interest in the cattle market as we go through the next couple of years when we expect supplies to really tighten up. Supplies are going to tighten up, and we'll be watching, I imagine, Arlen, that wholesale box beef value for clues as to consumers' health going forward. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking at at least about a 6.5% reduction in production just in the next year alone, and that reduction is going to continue into the next year as well. All right, tightness is coming in the cattle market. Could be good news for those cattle feeders, folks. We've been talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stonex. And Arlen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to check the health of the machinery segment with Casey Iron, with Casey Seymour of Moving Iron, LLC. Stick around. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. 
Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. We all know clean fields lead to strong yields. That's why ExtendFlex soybeans offer triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate to control more weed species than any other soybean system. Even tough weeds like water hemp, palmer amaranth, and mare's tail. Get the control, flexibility, and proven performance you need so you can focus on the business at hand instead of beating back weeds. Explore the Roundup Ready Extend crop system at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. 
oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, earlier in the show, we checked in with Paul Shadag at Farmers National about the health of the farm real estate market. And unsurprisingly, if you've noticed the headlines, it is still very, very strong. There's still a lot of cash out in farm country, and farmers are investing in their operations. They're doing it in farmland. They're also doing it in machinery. We had the quarterly profit updates from John Deere here just about two weeks ago, and it was a record profitable quarter for that company. And they've announced that they are getting tight on inventory already in 2023. I figured that meant it was a great time to check on the overall health of the farm machinery market. And Casey Seymour, founder of Moving Iron LLC, keeps track of everything that's happening in this space. And Casey, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me back on, Mike. You know, I want to come back. We had that John Deere quarterly profit result here just about two weeks ago. They mentioned they were sold out of combines in 2023. Casey, what has the combine market been doing as we've come through harvest? You know, the combine market's been strong. You know, it, it's uh, we're starting to see a few more pop up on on uh, dealers' lots, and we're starting to see a few more used inventory pieces pop up here and there. But it's still been very strong, Mike. And you know, I watched the sale just uh, last week. Um, so I think Stephas Auctions had it, and it was uh, some pretty impressive numbers that were getting put up there. Uh, and that was a dealer, a dealer consignment auction too. So, uh, you know, prices are still strong. We're still seeing tight inventory across the across the space. And um, but I will say that one thing I will say about the, the the tight used equipment marketplace is that you know not all things are equal. So you start looking at some various areas. Uh, you're starting to see some areas that are having some tractor. Um, issues not issues is not the right word but you know seeing a little more tractor inventory than what they've seen in the past and and some of this one-year-old stuff is starting to make its way in so casey where are you seeing the slowdowns in at least the tractor market is it primarily the western corn belt no actually when you look it's, it's more the deep south and the southeast um when you really take a look at what's seen there and and you know that that row crop tractor market there. There's is a little more robust than what we've seen other places, just because of the amount of machines needed uh, during harvest and planting for the various crops that they grow down there. So you're seeing some more one-year-old machines pop up down there than you would see in, in other places. But we still look in the the western Corn Belt and you know the uh, the heart of the of the Corn Belt right there and um, along the Mississippi River um, to probably like I-29. If you're really looking at that area, there's still uh, there's still demand signals that are need to be filled in that area and we're seeing a lot more um, buying right now than we've seen probably this time last year. Oh wow, yeah, that's interesting. I'm wondering, Casey, is most of the buying still in the used machinery space happening at auctions or is it is it starting to grow inventory at the dealers? Um, I think it's a little bit of both, Mike. You know, you look at where it's available and that's where it's being bought at. Um, right now, I can, I can probably tell you that auction value um, is pretty close to retail value uh, when you're looking at some of the stuff that's being sold out there. Um, so I think it's wherever it's available, it's being it's being purchased. But we are seeing more machines um, pop up um, on the on the dealer lot that are used, and you're starting to see that inventory grow. And um, and I say that very uh, very loosely when I say that there's still not piles of machines laying around by any means out there anywhere. So we're we're still seeing um, inventory issues, but we're seeing we're seeing more availability come through. This I think probably going in through December through you know February timeframe. Well, that's good to hear. I know as we get close to the end of this year for a lot of growers, we're finding ways to make those investments, maybe help that tax burden at the end of this next uh, next year. And uh, Casey, I'm curious, what advice would you have for growers who might want to get out there make an investment in their operation, given the tight supply? Do you just peruse auction sites this year or pay close attention? What's your best advice for folks? No, I would just say if you found a piece of equipment that you're looking for, and it's a readily available piece of equipment, you probably need to make that move and think about what it is that you are, uh, what you're doing, and what your um, uh, outcome for next year is, and what your needs are. And I think right now um, there there's machines that you can put your name on that that'll be available, uh, you know, early early first quarter, and you can you can get those things locked in right now. I'd say the only thing I would say to pay attention to right now is when 
you know what where where if you can if you can sign a note now <clears throat> and get that that interest rate locked in now um you know I always tell my guys the cheapest interest rate is what you're paying right now because the way the fed's working uh, interest rates are climbing every month and paying attention to that information is is going to really save you some money in the long run it is you know i had the chance to catch up with dylan or daryl rather he's the class marketing manager for north america and he said that going out into the future they expect these long lead times on new equipment purchases to stick here in the industry case are you hearing that from any other manufacturers uh you know i've, I've heard that from a few other people um, looking into 23 that they're going to see a similar year as 23 as far as availability goes um with some with some pressure being relieved in 24 um but I mean, I think just the the allocation stuff that we see right now. My my personal opinion is kind of looking at why things are rolling in any industry um, across whether it's trucks, tractors, or or uh, anything else that's out there. I, I foresee that this allocation based uh, marketplace that we see continues to grow, and I think they'll have some. Um, you know, I think inventory will be more managed than we've seen in the past. me wonder the dealer ecosystem do you expect to see continued consolidate that space oh for sure I don't, I don't think that's anything that's going to go away anytime soon um with the uh, complexity of equipment and complexity of farming and the uh the, the capital needed to, to to manage and grow uh with these farm with farmers that are out there it, I, I do foresee that the uh, dealer consolidation structure does continue to grow Casey time to pull the trigger on those if you're I apologize folks it looks like we just lost Casey there for a moment but we are going to keep working we'll get Casey back on in the future this equipment marketplace remains very very hot and we'll continue to cover it here on AOA tune in tomorrow folks thanks for listening Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 2022 will be remembered for chaos between war, inflation, and weather. But if there's one thing farmers know, it's that there's no such thing as normal. That's why this year's DTN Ag Summit will focus on strategies to help conquer the chaos and ways farmers can build endurance for their business. Hear from leaders at CHS, Bayer, and Corteva, as well as farmers from across the country, all from the comfort of your home or office. Join us for this completely virtual event held December 12th and 13th. Register today at DTN.com slash Ag Summit. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.